Doc Talk is brought to you by Merck Animal Health. By integrating the comprehensive animal health product portfolio of Merck Animal Health with the innovative technologies of all flex livestock intelligence, we are shaping the future of animal health, resulting in more effective solutions and healthier animals. Hey folks, welcome to Doc Talk. I'm Dr. Dan Thompson. We're going to have a great show. Dr. Casey Olson is here. We're going to talk about pasture management for this summer. Stay tuned. We're glad you're watching. Hey folks, welcome to Doc Talk. We have uh, probably somebody that's been on here as many times as as anyone over the years, Dr. Casey Olson. And uh, he's a good friend. He's a colleague. Um, about the brightest person I know when it comes to cow nutrition, pastures, grazing, beef industry, and thanks for being on the show. Always a pleasure, Dan. Dr. Olson is here at Kansas State University where he serves as the Lewis Professor of Range uh, Cow Nutrition and, and Management. He uh, is a professor in animal science and teaches a bunch of courses as well, don't you? Yes, sir. Beef science and advanced beef systems. That's great. Uh, great school, great program because of great faculty. We're going to talk about grazing, about cows, talk about, you know, and, and we'd kind of set this up. You, you'd said that there's a difference between stocking rate and stocking density. Right. And a lot of people confuse those two terms. Uh, stocking density, as the name implies, is just animals per unit area, which in no way parameterizes grazing. You have to get the element of time involved, how many animals per unit area, what the, what body weight of the animals and how long they're gonna be there before you can predict whether a grazing bout is gonna be sustainable. So which one do we, what are we gonna use? Well, we, we're gonna use both. I mean, in the moment, you know, we might talk about, well, how many, how many cows or how many steers will that pasture handle? And we have a, a fixed grazing duration in mind. I mean, it's, it's fine to talk about density. But I mean, to, to come up with a sustainable and safe stocking rate, I mean, it, it takes a little bit of doing. And I mean, you can hire the pros from Dover. By that, I mean the, the good folks for, with uh, Natural Resource Conservation Service to come out and work with you uh, to uh, establish that stocking rate. But it's, it's possible to train yourself to be able to do that. Okay, so where do I start? Well, you gotta start with how much forage is available. And, I mean, you can get down on your hands and knees with the chiggers in the grass and physically cut that forage, dry it and wet, but that really doesn't give you a, I mean, you'll know exactly what's in that square foot of that square meter, right? Yep. But, uh, you know, it takes maybe 15 or 20 minutes once you get in the swing of things to be able to take one of those samples. How many of those are you going to do on a single uh, piece of grass? You know, the, the limit, the practical limit is probably 25 observations. It's a... Uh, tedious and it's slow. A better way and a more repeatable way to do it is probably with something as simple as a, a yardstick. Okay, you can, uh, in a hundred different locations, within about 15 or 20 minutes, put the stick down in the grass, see how much in inches is, is covered by the grass, and then estimate that you're going to have between two and 300 pounds of forage per acre per inch high. It's, it's really pretty simple. Uh, then you got to decide, okay, what in this forage mass is going to nourish my cattle and what are they going to walk on by? 200 to 300 pounds of forage. Three to 400 in rangeland that's in good condition. Okay, per inch per acre. Yes. 
So if I've got five inches, that's 1,500 to 2,000 pounds. That is correct. Of forage breaker. That's pretty cool. Let's take a break. When we come back, let's go through the next step. Very good. We're watching Doc Talk. Thanks for being with us today. Hey folks, welcome back to Doc Talk. Dr. Dan Thompson here with my friend and colleague, Dr. Casey Olson, who's a professor in animal science here at Kansas State University, and he serves as the Lewis Chair of Range Cattle Nutrition, specifically spends a lot of time in commercial cow herds and a lot of, of consulting across the state in the United States on, on cow nutrition. And, and one of the things that kind of caught my ear as we were leaving the last segment, you said, we gotta figure out what cows are gonna stop and eat and what they're gonna walk by. That's true. Uh, you know, we think of cows as generalist herbivores or steers as generalist herbivores, but they are very selective in what they choose to put into their diet. You know, a, a plant like Ceresia lespedeza, for example, nutritionally looks like dynamite, but it's loaded with condensed tannin. And, you know, a cow might nibble on that or a steer might nibble on that a little bit, uh, but they're going to get a, uh, a flavor-related aversion to that plant very, very quickly. Uh, you know, the things that our cows are likely to eat are, are going to be uh, forage grasses. You know, here in the Flint Hills of Kansas, we think about things like big blue stem, like Indian grass, uh, being the primary components of a cow's diet. But don't forget, you know, that at any one time, between 10 and 40 percent of that cow's diet is going to be in some broadleaf plant. And those broadleaves are, uh, they can be very hard to quantify. You know, a big, bold, broadleaf plant like ironweed. I mean, every state in the nation probably has ironweed. Looks like it has a lot of herbage mass, okay, but it's got a very uh, prickly mouthfeel. And again, cows walk right on by it. Uh, so when we're planning, you know, what we, uh, what we can eat and what we can't eat, uh, metaphorically speaking, along with that analysis with the yardstick, it's a good idea to write down what that stick hits when it makes contact with the ground. Does it, does it hit bare soil? Does it hit litter, dead plant material? Or does it hit the basal portion of a plant? And when it's the latter, okay, you need to record the identity of that plant. You know, if you know on site 20 different forage grasses in Kansas, you can do a really good job characterizing uh, what you've got out there. Well, and you know, I, I, I think some of the other one, when you talk about they'll pick the, the forage grasses, um, it's, it's part of what you taught me of, you know, it's one thing to burn pastures and, and you'll see the difference in keeping like the brush and things like that down. But if you don't graze them, you don't get any biodiversity of the plants in the field because the grass just chokes it out because we don't graze it, right? True enough. True enough. You didn't think I was listening. No, I... You, I, I always think you're listening, Dan. That's why I'm really careful what I say. Um, but, the, I mean, biodiversity in any pasture environment, even a cultivated environment, is, is fairly critical for the health of that uh, soil, for the health of uh, the stand of forage. And um, understanding that some of those plants that, you know, maybe cows do walk on by are, are providing some vital ecosystem service like nitrogen fixation. Yeah. So ha having that forb component is uh, critical to rangeland health. Yeah, and I think that when we look at different grasses in different parts of the country and, you know, there's places you fertilize, places you don't fertilize, places that you have biodiversity, perennials versus annuals, uh, all of this is fair game, right? 
for for your pasture management and and measurements. It all it all matters. Yeah. So let's take a break. Um, we're going to come back. We're going to talk more with Dr. Casey Olson on things that you can do as you're prepping, turn your cows out this summer, and what you can do after they're already turned out. You're watching Doc Talk, and we're glad you joined us. Hey folks, welcome back to Doc Talk. Dr. Dan Thompson and Dr. Casey Olson. We're at Kansas State University in Weber Hall, uh, where Dr. Olson is a professor of animal science, and he is the uh, Lewis chair of range cow nutrition here at Kansas State University and a uh, tremendous teacher, researcher, and uh, someone that, that uh, if you're needing uh, expertise on cows, rangeland, uh, profitability, all the above, he's the one to, to get a hold of. Um, so we're going to talk about now, we, we know what we got, we know how many cows we have, now it's what we're going to leave, right, and how we calculate right. that. And so going back to our last segment, that um, sort of estimate of plant composition that we're taking as we're walking along at 100 different points with the yardstick, right? We're going to encounter plants that we know cows won't eat. We talked about ironweed, talked about Cerisia lespidiza. Basically, you're going to take the percentage, okay, the number of points out of 100, the percentage of plants that are inedible, and you're going to discount that uh, from what's available for consumption. Gotcha. Now, and, and other discounts apply too. I mean, if there's 2,000 pounds of forage per square acre and let's say 15% of the plants out there are not typically consumed by beef cattle, um, we can't take the, we can't take the balance of what's left. We've got to leave some so that those plants remain healthy and they'll continue to, to regrow. Yeah, so you're not going to say, okay, well, this is 85% edible and 15% here, so we're going to take 85%. You're going to have to take a percentage of the 85% and leave a certain percentage of that 85%. That's a, that's essentially how it works. Now, in, in the dogma of range management, the old adage was take half and leave half, meaning that of the edible forage, you would have to you would have to leave half of that residual biomass just so that the plant can reinvigorate itself. Um, but, you know, if we've got areas of our pasture that sit at greater than uh, 14 degrees of slope, generally speaking, we have to discount that forage as well. So that acreage that is, sits at greater than 14% slope doesn't even go into our consideration. Uh, if, I mean, and we're not gonna find this very often in the Midwest, but if, if we have um, pasture locations that are more than two miles from water, unless we physically haze cattle out to those areas, they're not gonna use them. Gotcha. They're going to want to stick to areas where they're naturally uh, comfortable. Now, um, there are some ways, you know, one, one issue we haven't talked about yet is carrying capacity. Stocking density, stocking rate are by definition inelastic. Okay, but carrying capacity is defined as the maximum sustainable stocking rate for any given pasture. There is all kinds of elasticity in carrying capacity. The highest paying job on the ranch is figuring out how you can grow more grass. Okay, can you clean up bare soil? Can you uh, get rid of timber, for example, uh, and, and allow grass to grow in what was a, a, a closed canopy? If you can add one more unit of inventory because you've grown more grass, uh, that, you know, if you're breaking even on 100 cows, that, that 101st cow is pure profit. Yep, yep, and, and you know, I, I thought one of the things too, when you're talking about slope, 
that comes back to one of your burn studies where you looked at where it was the hottest when you burn pastures and there was the most fuel for burning pastures on the side hills. Yes. And that, that it was kind of an aha moment that, you know, cattle like to stay on flat ground. Yeah, nothing moves faster than a fire going uphill with the wind. <laughs> uh, it's just tremendous information. Uh, when we come back, we're going to do a wrap up on, on how you manage your pastures. Uh, we're lucky to have Dr. Olson here. We'll be right back. Hey folks, welcome back to Doc Talk. Dr. Dan Thompson and Dr. Casey Olson. We're here at K-State in Weber Hall. Dr. Olson serves as a professor of animal science. He researches, teaches, does engagement and outreach, um, runs our cow-calf facility and, and unit. And uh, it's quite an operation actually. And, and if you're in Manhattan, you need to see it. He serves as the Lewis Chair of Range Cattle Nutrition. And we're talking about pasture management and you know there's going to be as we were talking you know how do we determine when to come off grass or you know how do we maybe stretch grass a little bit or how do we set our boundaries well i, I mentioned earlier that you know a dogmatic thing in range management is take half leave half um, but you can safely go beyond that 50 percent removal rate if you can provide rest during the growing season and what i'm speaking to here is is the is a, the idea of uh, rotational grazing. So rotational grazing is not magic. Uh, some people think it is, but what it does uh, is it, you know, confines animals to a, you know, a relatively small area of a larger pasture for a period of time. You, you let them eat until you get to about four inches of residual material, and then they move on to the next paddock. And if you can not revisit that first paddock, for roughly 28 days, uh, that forage is going to get rest. It's going to have time to restore leaf area, uh, and every plant, okay, will be uh, more vigorous. And I think I said this already, but you can safely, with a, with about an eight paddock system, you can safely go to a 60% removal rate of that huh. of that available forage that we determined in earlier steps. Now. Um, I came up with a really simple rotational system for my, my own uh, pasture ground and um, really like what it's doing for eliminating trailing, uh, you know, habitual paths of movement that, that uh, cattle use and they stomp out the forage that should be there. Uh, so I'm, I'm eliminating bare soil. Um, you know, the one flexibility that you need with rotational grazing, and it's sometimes difficult to come by here in the Flint Hills, is water. Uh, so in order to have that rotational system, I had to invest quite a bit of money in water delivery systems so I could get enough water uh, in each one of those paddocks. Yeah, don't have a pond in every paddock. No, I wish I did. But uh, the nice thing about having uh, water in a tire tank as opposed to water in a pond is there's no place for cattle to get in and loaf yep. when they start feeling the heat. Uh, and, you know, if I, if I need less ponds, that means I got more area to grow more grass. That's what really excites me. <laughs> so tell me then, just kind of wrap up, you know, if you're, if you're going to bullet list things that you're going to have as kind of your key points or things you're going to think about this summer for your cows and grass. Well, I can, I can be really simple about this. You know how people say the three most important things in real estate are location, location, location. Yep. 
three most important things in pasture management are stocking rate, stocking rate, stocking rate. You got to get that one right before you can start thinking about how to get better at what you do. It's awesome. Thanks for being on the show. Always glad. <laughs> Folks, Dr. Casey Olson, remember, always work with your local veterinarian and nutritionist. Uh, if you want to find out what we do at Doc Talk, you can find us on the web at www.doctalktv.com. I'm Dr. Dan Thompson here with Dr. Casey Olson, and we'll see you down the road. Doc Talk is brought to you by Merck Animal Health. By integrating the comprehensive animal health product portfolio of Merck Animal Health with the innovative technologies of AllFlex Livestock Intelligence, we are shaping the future of animal health, resulting in more effective solutions and healthier animals.